What stories do you rarely tell because nobody will believe you? I'm a living witness to something known as the McMasterville Explosion. CIL, the paint company, made explosives. Their explosives factory, which was a giant factory on the same grounds as the paint-making factory. One night, the whole thing blew up. I was looking right at it when it went. Not just the explosives, but thousands of gallons of flammable liquids from other parts of the factory all went up at once. It was estimated to have the power of a one-kiloton explosion. I lived on the side of a mountain called Mount St. Hilaire, a little over a mile away looking down at the factory site. When you see an explosion like that from a distance, the land ripples like water, like when you drop a stone in water. I was riding a bike. The ground shook me first, then the air blast knocked me on my butt. The factory was deliberately sunk into the ground and surrounded by a high trench wall in case it ever blew up so the nearby town of Beloyal wouldn't get leveled. So the explosive force got punched into the ground and the factory was blown straight up into the air. Tons of wreckage rained down for miles. No one I know of was hit by anything, but many small fires were started all over the place. My next-door neighbor found a train wheel in his backyard, and it was red-hot when he found it. Apparently, this occurred in 1972, and at least six people died. That my father was arrested for stealing $100,000 worth of Hershey's kisses, and during his time in jail, I found out that he was not my biological father. My biological father owned a chain of restaurants that I frequented as a kid and teenager. I found all this out a few weeks after my 18th birthday. What would you even want with $100,000 worth of Hershey's kisses? I was six years old and my parents took my family down to Disney World. Yay! On the flight down, the pilot made an announcement that if you looked out the window, you could see the space shuttle launching. It was kind of far away, but I could definitely see it in a plume of smoke. Very cool. We land in Orlando, and everyone is dead silent, glued to the TVs. It was the Challenger, and it exploded on launch. I saw the Challenger explode. The 28th of January, 1986. I faked playing a xylophone for two years so I could go to China once. I played trombone for eight years through middle and high school, and I knew a few people at my college before I went there. They convinced me to join marching band, but were always complaining that the the band director wrote impossible drills. 10 counts to move, 30 yards in some instances, run through the bass drums, that sort of crap. I, being the genius that I was, figured, well, I played keyboard in a ska band for a couple years. How hard could xylophone be? Xylophones don't march after all. Answer, xylophone is pretty goddamn hard, and I'd never played one in my life before the first day of band camp, which is when the auditions were. The guy doing the auditions was the percussion instructor for the College of Music, and after my audition, he told me to put the mallets down, step back, and never play xylophone again. Which, to be fair, I did butcher the crap out of hot cross buns due to some sort of administrative mess-up. They never got around to actually kicking me out that year, and I hung around and pretended to play the xylophone. Now, every two years, my college's marching band takes a big trip somewhere overseas to perform and yada yada yada, and I had entered on an off year. The second year, I show up and do the same thing, except the percussion instructor has been fired. I never really dealt with him beyond defending him with my ability to butcher xylophone music, but to my understanding, he was a general butthole and the music department had been wanting to chuck him out for some time, so they made a big
big stink about him doing some paperwork incorrectly or something. So it was left to our section leaders to audition the section and being good friends with the section leader, he just said, Jenkins, hit something every now and again, but not very hard and make it look like you're playing. So that's what I did. I found the softest mallet in the place, barely tapped the keys, wham, bam, going to China. Everything would have worked out peachy. Except our band director also didn't pay any attention to the orchestra pit. So when he was doling out parts for the music we were going to play in China, he assigned me to concert bells. Like that tiny little 50-pound xylophone that has a sound that would cut through an aerial bombardment. Not only that, I had a solo at the beginning of the Moon Represents My Heart, which, as it was explained to me, is basically somewhere over the rainbow for Chinese people. Everybody knows the song. It's a cultural treasure and not something you want to mess up at a national landmark because folks will notice. So I busted my butt actually learning how to play that bit over the span of a couple months and managed to avoid offending the people of Shanghai and Beijing. Not all the people, though. A group of Chinese youths caught me urinating into a bush in Shanghai's club district and I had to duck into a place called Highway 3 with my dinger still hanging out to get away from them. Got to play a set of concert bells on the Great Wall and see a whole bunch of stuff in China, though. It's ridiculous to me that seemingly no one who was ever in charge of this marching band really had any clue what the hell they were doing or what was going on really with this band. When I was 19, some friends and I were visiting New York City. After picking them up from the airport, we decided it would be fun to drive down Broadway at night and see it all lit up. It was fun. We got some good pictures from the car and around 8.30 we decided to drive home. Going northbound on the West Henry Hudson, we were talking and listening to some journey when someone hopped the highway divider and ran out in front of my car, stopped and looked right at us. There was no time to stop, no time to swerve, and at 50 miles per hour, he came crashing straight through the front windshield, hitting my best friend directly in the face. Immediately, I pulled over and called the police, then went to look to see if there were any slim chances the man might still be alive. I saw his legs swerved roughly four to six inches above the knee and on the road near where my car had stopped. My friend in the back seat was crying her eyes out, and my buddy was amped up on adrenaline and shock in the front seat waiting for the police to arrive and remove him from the car. Walking further back, I saw a bunch of people who had stopped to help crowded around the man. I saw his head caved in and a dark pool underneath him, before a kind old gentleman turned me away, saying, You don't need to see this. In almost no time at all, the fire department was there helping my friend who had a broken nose and shards of glass embedded in his eye and face out of the car. When the ambulance arrived, they tried to pull him in with the man I had hit, which made him freak out and refuse and wait for another ambulance. The cops on the scene took down my story and ran a breathalyzer on me, but I hadn't been drinking. At this time in my life, I didn't drink. Then put my friend from the back seat and I in the back of a car to try and calm us down while they waited for the investigators to arrive. I had called my mom, who lived outside the city, to tell her I had been in an accident and that she should come for support. After about an hour, the investigators arrived, took time marking off the scene, and interviewed us again about what had happened. The police were very nice and all of us were in shock. After interviewing me, I asked the investigator where I could go to the bathroom. He nodded to the trees on the side of the highway and said to have at it. So I stood on the dimly lit bloody highway near the trees and under the watchful eye of the 50 block traffic jam I had created and let forth a stream I had been holding for hours. Afterwards, they took us back to the local precinct to finish paperwork and meet up with my mom and sister who were waiting there after having left my stepbrother with my friend who had been taken to the hospital. They had gotten lost 
lost and caught in the same traffic I caused, which is why they didn't meet us at the scene. With the paperwork done, my mom asked what had happened to the man. The officer looked at my little sisters and then asked my mom and I to step outside. It was DOA. He had been released from prison that morning. I was shocked when he extended his hand to me and thanked me for helping to clean up the city. After going to the hospital to get my friend and stepbrother, we went home for the evening. The next day, when we picked up my car from the auto shop, I saw the meager sunlight, the after image of what had transpired, blood and brain matter all over the front of my car, an imploded front windshield, and entering the car to take it to a place to get the glass repaired, a large chunk of bloody skull in the passenger's seat next to me, hidden under some napkins. My friend who had been in the passenger's seat wandered over and I told him not to look inside, but he wouldn't listen and did anyway. I think that is when the reality of what happened sunk in for him, because his eye grew large and he turned around silently to go sit in my mom's car. The entire experience was completely surreal, especially during the drive to get the windshield repaired when alone I drove the car to the shop, the wind whistling through the broken glass. I want to believe that when the cop said thanks for cleaning up the city, the guy who died was maybe just a real piece of work and did some awful stuff, but maybe this dude is just completely indifferent about this stuff, which is pretty horrible. My other thought is that this individual also enjoys creative writing. TLDR, almost had a knife to my brain because of some crazy quack doctor leaping to very rash conclusions. Don't you hate it when doctors jump to conclusions? I know I've posted this somewhere before, but anyway. I was 10, lived out in rural America where my closest neighbor was a football field's length away. Between us was an overgrown field that backed up to my neighbor's horse pasture. I used to run through the fields full blast with weeds and grass stalks and wildflowers that were taller than me. I didn't give a crap. So one morning I wake up and something isn't right. I have this horrible pain in my neck. My neck. Oh God, what happened to my neck? My neck was swollen to the point of it jutting past my chin. It was like a 350 pound person's neck on a little 90 pound girl. I screamed. Mom screamed when she saw it. We took off for the pediatrician right away. Of course, as fate would have it, my usual pediatrician wasn't in that day. So a stand-in was there. I remember very mild tests going on, nothing too crazy, before the doctor explains to my mother that it's a brain tumor and I'll have to have brain surgery right away. I am freaking out. And my mom isn't too calm either. She, however, rationalizes and before she makes her plans to have them cut into my skull, takes me to her own doctor for a second opinion. The RN at that office peers at me for a minute, performs a few other mild tests, and then goes, aha, and lifts up my ponytail. She points at this small bump on the back of my neck and proudly exclaims, spider bite. Two days rest in some penicillin and I was 100% again. That was a pretty crazy conclusion to come to after it's like, well, when did the lump show up? Uh, just this day. Then again, what kind of crazy spider bite was it? Around the age of 12, I was diagnosed with severe OCD. I struggled with it so much that I had psychiatrists say they could do no more for me. A therapist that made house calls and I've even participated in studies, evaluated on the other side of a one-way mirror kind of stuff. Perhaps in desperation, my parents eventually sent me to a psychiatric hospital halfway across the country which specialized in the treatment of OCD. I was there for three months until my insurance ran out. Now I'm 22 years old and I've overcome it so much that nobody besides family even realizes anything is slash was ever wrong with me. With all these people running around saying I'm so OCD, I eat my M&Ms one color at a time and them not knowing me back then, I don't even bother divulging a part of my life they would be unable to comprehend the severity of.
You know, I totally get that. As someone with ADHD who used to get support off it when I was a kid, and I used to see these people, and they'd say to me things like, So, is your ADHD better now? Is it gone yet? And I go, Well, I don't... I don't think it works like that. I absolutely hated those meetings, but my point is those issues, mental disorders, learning difficulties never really go away. You simply learn to adjust your life around it and behave accordingly in certain situations. And people often don't talk about that much. I'm late to the thread, so this will probably get buried, but hey, I feel like telling the story. It's a bit spooky. Hopefully someone will find it a good read. My mom and I moved into a completely normal slash average house when I was about 15. Everything was fine. We loved it. One day I was home sick from school and I was messing around on the computer when I heard our garage door open. I freaked out and went down the hall to get my mobile phone and saw the hallway door that connects to the garage opening. I panicked and yelled, get out, and two young boys slammed the door and ran off. I started crying and called my mom. I don't know why I didn't call the police first. Who told me to go next door to my neighbors and she was going to come home from work. When she got home, she was speaking to my neighbor for a bit. She, the neighbor, ended up telling us that she thought it was probably the young boy that lived in the house before us. Apparently, he sometimes goes around to everyone's houses and breaks in and eats their food and watches TV and stuff. And for whatever reason, they were all okay with that. Apparently, he came from some sort of broken home and they all felt sorry for him, so they didn't call the police. Mom and I were completely unsettled by that and put new locks on all the doors that week. We didn't care if the other neighbors were okay with that. We weren't. A few months pass and nothing ever happens again. We figure he knows we're not cool with his weirdness and doesn't try to break in again. A week or so later, I'm in bed asleep and I wake up in the middle of night for no reason at all. I'm not hot or cold. I don't need to pee. I didn't have a nightmare. I just woke up. I had this incredibly uneasy and weird feeling wash over me. I felt like something or someone was watching me and I got completely freaked out. I went into my mom's room and slept in her bed that night. It kept happening a few nights and I thought I was just having nightmares or was getting scared of the dark for some reason. I ended up sleeping in my mom's bed for about a week because I got so legit scared of the dark now. I finally worked up the courage to sleep in my own bed one night but I could barely sleep. I felt totally uneasy, nervous, scared. I got to sleep for a bit but then I woke up again. I looked outside my window and I could swear I saw a face slash figure of someone standing there. Obviously, I noped the hell out and ran back to my mom. One of the nights, I was back in her bed. We were all asleep and feeling fine when I woke up to my dog on the end of the bed, growling. Now, our dog is an old golden retriever and has never growled or barked at anything. She is a huge wuss and completely placid. She has no problem with strangers, even if someone knocks on the door and comes in. She couldn't care less. So I wake up all dazed, confused, and half asleep. I hear the dog growling and I'm asking her what? What's wrong? I look up from the bed and I am not lying to you. There is a man standing in the doorway with a knife. I screamed like a banshee and the dog started barking at this point. Mom woke up and saw the man too. He went running down the hallway and out the back door. I'm crying my eyes out. The dog is barking her face off and mom is frantically trying to call the police. An hour later, they finally get here and of course, the dude is gone. Morning comes and we go outside to see that the back gate has had its lock cut with bolt cutters and the door leading into the house had been smashed in. The cops come in and dust for prints and leave crap everywhere but at the end of the day, they can't and don't do anything. We moved out that same day and went to live with my grandmother and grandfather until we found a new house. Pretty much no one in the family believed us or thought we were just 
making it up for attention. My family are buttholes. A few weeks later, we get a call from the police, and they manage to match the prince to some teenager who just got arrested for breaking into another house. It's the same guy that was breaking into all the houses in the neighborhood and used to live in the house we were in. So mom's talking to the cops and some of the neighbors when suddenly someone tells us completely casually, oh yeah, that's the millet kid. Wait, did they just say millet? Yeah, pretty much any Australian will know this last name. Ivan Millet, the serial killer. His nephew was breaking into people's homes and our home while we were sleeping with a knife and people were okay with that. So anyway, we move into a new house and forget all about it until a year ago. Millet's nephew gets 43 years jail sentence. He and his friend murdered another teenager in the same goddamn place his uncle dumped all those bodies. WTF. So, the guy that broke into our house watched me while I was asleep and stood in our bedroom doorway with a knife while we were sleeping actually murdered another teenager a few years later. Mom and I nearly fell over when we heard about it. No one really believes us, which really annoys me, but it really happened. Sometimes when I think back on what could have happened if I slept in my own bed that night or if the dog didn't bark or if we were never woken up, it really freaks me out. It's also left me with a huge fear of the dark. I get really uneasy if I have to go outside at night by myself or if I wake up in the middle of the night. Well, goddamn, I'm English and even I know who Ivan Miller is. But that is a legitimately terrifying story. I went to college at Belmont University in Nashville from 1999 until 2002. While I was there, I worked for record labels, as did a lot of friends who were all in the music business program. Well, one buddy worked for a label called Red Hill Records as an intern slash gopher slash indentured servant. So on occasion, we could go to events and meet industry people and artists, as this was a small label. They had an artist that we became friends with named Katie Hudson, who was a singer-songwriter at about 17 years old. We hung out all the time since we were just 18 ourselves and had nothing to do but study and bum around coffee shops. As our friendship developed, my roommate developed a huge crush on her. She never seemed to reciprocate the feeling, so I asked her what was wrong with him. You know, trying to be a good friend. And she revealed that she liked me instead of him. So, since I wanted to be a good friend, I had to turn her down because of his feelings for her. That girl went on to be Katy Perry. I kid you not. I suppose that's pretty impressive. I'm not really a Katy Perry person, but uh, good for this guy. And while I'm not going to read them, some of the follow-up comments are pretty cringe. My friend's father owned a Mercedes CLS when I was a senior in high school. One day when his father is gone, we take it out. We have some ganja and both of our grinders in the cup holders, which was freaking stupid. We always put that stuff in the trunk. As we approach a downsloped hill near our school in the most cliche manner possible, he decides he wants to show me how fast his dad's car can go. The road was narrow and the slope was pretty steep downwards, but went right back up after it reached the bottom. He books it, and by the time we reach the bottom of the hill, we're probably going 90 miles per hour. Right at the bottom we pass a cop like freaking fly right by him he turns his lights on and tries to turn around but one or two cars gets between us and him the road was so narrow that he had to do like a three-point turn to get all the way around we start to freaking panic i have no idea what came over me at this point only about three seconds after we see the cop but seeing that it took him so long to turn around made me look at my friend and say keep going. We go to the top of the hill, still going fast AF, take a right, go about a hundred yards and take a left into a neighborhood. We go down a random driveway in a cul-de-sac park and turn the car off. We chuck all of the ganja materials out of the car and slump down in our chairs, peeking back. We see the cop go around the cul-de-sac and leave the neighborhood. I swear to God, it was like the goddamn Italian job. Never been so scared in my life. You're only supposed to blow the bloody doors off. My mom thought Paul McCartney kidnapped me. 
My mom was walking with me on the beach in the Hamptons when I was an infant. McCartney came up to my mom and asked if he could hold me. My mom was in desperate need of the bathroom and didn't want to go inside with me, so she asked if McCartney wouldn't mind watching me for a few minutes. Apparently, I started sobbing, so he paced up and down the beach and my mom couldn't find me when she came out of the bathroom. She called my dad and they spent two hours looking for me before they found McCartney sitting on a bench chair with me in his arms. I don't care if the baby's crying. You stand exactly where I left you with my baby. If someone trusts you with their baby, you don't move an inch. This may get buried and not be as interesting as some of the others, but I have one that nobody ever believes. When I was in fourth grade, I was completely obsessed with Chuck Berry. I mean, religiously obsessed. I still am to a certain extent, but that was back in the day when I was first discovering rock and roll. Well, as fortune would have it, Chuck Berry came to my city to perform at the local venue. He must have been in his 70s at this point. I was beyond excited, so of course, my mother being the caring and loving parent that she is, bought tickets and we went. The whole entire show, I was in the very front and then i had an idea i didn't know if it could possibly work or not but there was a pause and i went for it while chuck was tuning his guitar i started yelling mr berry mr berry to my absolute bewilderment he leaned in from the stage and with a huge grin on his face asked me what's up little buddy to which i replied can i please sing johnny be good with you holy crap he says yes i'm a fourth grader on stage at a huge venue with the father of rock and roll about to sing one of his most famous songs with him he starts the opening riff i'm shaking but not from stage fright? No, it was from sheer shock of being in this situation. I start singing. The crowd erupts. I bellow out the song. At the end, Chuck asks me, what's your name, young man? I tell him my name. The crowd starts cheering my name for a solid minute. It was the most incredible feeling and hands down the best gift I've ever received. Now, personally, I'm more of a fan of Maybelline, why can't you be true? Oh, Maybelline, why can't you be true? You just start doing the things you used to do. When you subscribe, make sure to hit the bell to turn on notifications. Put the playlist on in the background to finish listening to all the stories. And if you like Am I the Genius, give Am I the Jerk a shot. Linked in the description below.